Hello and welcome to the podcast on Broadwater Parish in Worthing, a thriving Anglican church based in the parish of Broadwater, West Sussex in Worthing. We are one church across three sites and Christians have worshipped for over a thousand years at our church at St Mary's. This podcast features sermons from our services and interviews and other episodes and you can find out more by going to broadwaterparish.org.uk. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this most recent episode of the podcast. It's when the congregation start doing that and they think the watch has stopped, then it uh, gets a little bit problematic. Um, let's pray. Father, as we uh, turn to this particular passage and to our subject tonight about belief, uh, we pray that you'll speak to our own belief and what it means. Help us to understand those who perhaps are struggling in their belief. And above all, help us to understand what you're saying to us uh, through your inspired word, through the Apostle Paul in our scriptures. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Good evening, folks. That's not too bad. It could get worse. Uh, I wonder what we believe. It's always interesting, isn't it, to think about what we believe. Um, Gaz asked what he could pray for tonight for me. I said, well, I've actually junked all the prep I've done, and I've gone for a God moment, okay? And Gaz just prayed, Lord, may that God moment be the right thing, because otherwise we're in Upper Creek. Um, It's interesting what we believe, and it's also interesting what others believe, and we can get into a habit, I think, of thinking that religion per se um, is very old-fashioned. So the God prompt was to go to the census, as you do, rather than a commentary. And uh, the census of 2021 um, basically compared 10 years behind and 10 years ahead, if you like. And Christianity was down from 59.3% to 46.2%. So according to the census, there were a a lot less of us than there were 10 years before. Muslims were up, that's interesting. 4.9 4.9 to 6.5. What I think is really interesting is that the biggest change was in those that said they had no religion, and that went up from 25% to 37%. 37% of the people on the census said, actually, we don't believe, we don't have religion. And that might be depressing. I, I was just, John lent me a pen, he said, are you writing your, writing your, your uh, preach now? I said, I've just got something off the Times or the Telegraph. And the Telegraph tonight said, um, there's a, a big headline if you've got, got the Telegraph online, clergy doom spiral. It's worrying, isn't it? Clergy, attendance drops off at record rate. Well, you're doing pretty well because you're here tonight, but I mean, that, that is worrying, perhaps. Conversely, um, the, um, the Pew Research Center, I found, says the world's Christian population expected to grow from 2.2 billion in 2010 to 2.9 billion in 2025, uh, sorry, excuse 2050. Nearly one in three people worldwide, uh, 31%, are expected to be Christians by the mid-century. Overall, although the population of the world is, is kind of static-ish, um, the proportion of Christians is projected to change. And most of that change isn't happening in Western Europe, where we are, it's happening in Sub-Saharan Africa. And there's a huge explosion of people who are turning to Jesus. 
and they're expecting sub-Saharan uh, Africa to grow from 24% to 38%. That's huge change. Um, whilst Western Europe is going to fall from 26 to 16%. It, what we're seeing is a Western European phenomena. So are we in a secular age? And I would contend that we're not. I would contend that the whole concept of atheism is really a modern construct, and we're now in a postmodern era. And if you look at history, um, atheism was kind of something that crept in between the two world wars. And as we came out of the Second World War into the 60s, um, we ended up with secular communism, which is kind of out there in, in, in the USSR and in China. And we're now in a postmodern situation where some of that's passe, I think. Do you know the best way of winding an atheist up? Do you know that? The best thing to do with an atheist is say, um, brother or sister, you have so much faith and I admire you for it. <laughs> Just think about it. And they'll say, no, no, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe there is a God. I said, that's a fantastic step of faith because the overwhelming evidence is for the God that we believe in. No, 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 no. Compliment an atheist on their faith and see what reaction you get. It's quite interesting. Um, I'm a great fan, if you know me well, of uh, the, um, the theologian, Alistair McGrath. I think he's got four brains in one head. I mean, he's just unbelievable guy. And he said that actually he's commenting on the new atheist. He says, the whole atheism thing is stale. And I think that's a really good, it's, we can transition out of atheism into a postmodern situation. What we're seeing is that people are not religious, but they are spiritually seeking. They're looking for something, but they're not finding it in conventional religion. They're not finding it in organized religion. They're not finding it in the church. And if we are in a, this downward spiral of doom that my, one of our clergy colleagues said, then um, they're not finding it in the Church of England either. So, is belief important? And if people are searching spiritually, then belief is important. You can go back through um, history, and a lot of people have commented that we all have a God-shaped space in us. There's something in us that is looking to be satisfied spiritually. It's a God-shaped space. And that is where Paul is coming to in this particular letter. He wants the people he's writing to and his hearers to have this God-shaped space filled with God. The challenge is not filling it with God. Um, I'm going to, who did, I'm going to say O-level, GCSE physics, come on, excellent. What happens with a vacuum, okay? A vacuum is nothing, it's empty. If you try and break into a vacuum, what happens? Things go into it, okay? A vacuum is an unstable state. It will try and suck things in. And contemporary life tells us that actually if we don't fill that God-shaped space that we have and our friends out there have, then the vacuum will be filled with other stuff. And that's a, dis a, a challenge to us, I think, as disciples and followers of Jesus, that if we recognize that spirit filled vacuum or spirit-shaped vacuum, if we don't help people to find Jesus, to find the God filling of that, then they're going to go and look elsewhere. The God vacuum 
needs to be filled with something. The God-shaped space needs to be filled with something. And our prayer for us as individuals and for those out there um, is that the God-shaped space is filled with God and not with anything else. Um, so um, where does that take us? Well, is what we believe important? And I'm sure we say, yeah, 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 yeah. But actually, for some people, that's a really interesting question. For the people that Paul is writing to, he's writing to the church in Colossae. When Paul writes pastorally, he's writing, I often say this in my day job when I'm doing generosity, and Paul writes as a rector or a vicar to his congregation. And here Paul is writing to the church in Colossae to try and help them figure out um, to be authentic in their faith, if you like. And the problem with the church in Colossae was that they've got the gospel. Paul talks a bit about this in that passage we've had. But they've had church leaders, perish the thought, that have told them that actually you've got the gospel, but you need some add-ons. And boy, have I got the add-ons for you. And effectively, they have what would we now see as, um, if you like, um, influences in social media. The church leaders are trying to encourage this congregation that actually the gospel is not enough. But if you come round the corner with me, I'll whisper in your ear hole, and I'll give you some inside track. And that's what's going on. Paul's writing against this whole idea. It's called Gnosticism from the, the Greek word gnosis, which is, is um, basically knowledge, where we get the word knowledge from. And we've got this group of people that are, are talking into a church that have got the gospel, but are being persuaded that there are add-ons. If you like, the God-shaped space is full of God, but there's enough space that they can stick some other stuff into. And the church leaders here are effectively trying to provide, uh, I don't know, something that's counterfeit to stick inside that vacuum, the God-shaped space. And perhaps it's because the leaders thought they were doing the right thing. Perhaps it's because um, they felt that that would give them some sense of power or coercion over their congregation. Perish have thought that church leaders ever do that. But it is, that's what's going on. That's the context of Paul's writing. Adding in additional things to church and to real gospel faith is not a new phenomenon. Um, does anybody else do the uh, Encounter with God Bible notes? Some of us might, one or two, okay. Um, if you do, we're currently in two kings at the moment. And if you look in your Bibles at one and two kings, you'll see there's a whole list of kings. Surprise, surprise. And some of them are good kings, and some of them are pretty ropey kings. And the pretty ropey kings invariably are said that they turn their back on God and followed something else. Sometimes that's because they were um, fighting their neighbors and they kind of absorbed stuff from the neighbors. Sometimes it's because they married into the, the uh, neighborhood, if you like. They adopted foreign wives, and the foreign wives arrived with um, slaves and um, servants and idols. And you can imagine a conversation, domestic conversation, going on something like this. Um, it's okay, dear, I've married you. If you want to bring those things and put them on the shelf, sweetheart, uh, we'll worship those too. And that's kind of what's going on with the bad kings. They're, they're, they're ab absorbing this stuff. Even the good kings are criticized, other than probably Josiah, are criticized because they're following God, but they're still allowing some of the syncretic stuff to go on. They're still allowing... Um, 
sacrifice to take place elsewhere, burning incense and other things. So if you like, they're hedging their bets. They've got this God-shaped space, the God vacuum, full of God, but enough spare stuff that they've got other things going in. In Paul's time, we have this Gnosticism, this idea of special revelation. But coming out of the immediate time of Jesus into the early church, we see a whole load of things coming up that kind of fill in the gaps or not. Things like, well, Jesus wasn't real, he was just imaginary, he was a ghost, um, he was just a really good guy, never God, and a whole lot of other things that was kind of cemented into the gospel. And Paul, in his writings, is trying to help the people to whom he's writing to figure out the authentic gospel, to figure out exactly what's going on. We have, I would contend, um, a similar situation today. It's possible that our friends in church wherever on a Sunday worship God and possibly on a Monday open their news feed or their newspaper, whatever, and they have a sneaky peek at the horoscopes. And they've got, they've got God, but actually, I'll, I'll, I'll hedge my bets. I'll just see if the horoscopes are, are doing anything that can help me. Synchristic adoption. Um, Jenny and I were in, uh, in Worthing with our grandchildren earlier this week. I was very tempted to, to test this theory out. Um, try it for yourself. I think if you go to the souvenir shops and to buy your ice creams, you'll find somewhere along there tarot cards. Quite often, tarot is there because it's a way, if you've got a wet day on Worthing, what are you going to do? I'll get a pack of cards out. Oh, tarot cards, that's interesting. Um, we can have these things which will be adopted into it um, because there's that, the bit of that space isn't God-shaped. Do you know Ouija is a game and a toy? Did you know that? Ouija is a licensed um, trademark, was of Parker Brothers and is now of Hasbro. They own brands like My Little Pony, Play-Doh and Monopoly and Ouija. In the same catalogue you have toys and games and Ouija. Frightening that is. I, in my parish ministry, um, I from time to time got involved with what is known as the Minister of Deliverance, which is effectively a diocesan exorcist. Okay? You didn't, perhaps you didn't know we had a diocesan exorcist. They do stuff in the background. And invariably, when they were dealing with things that were demonic, if they asked the people for whom they were trying to help, they had been accessing stuff like horoscopes, like tarot, like Ouija, and it had produced something that have, had got a, a, um, a hold, if you like, in that particular person, that particular family. Worrying. So if we have this vacuum and we don't fill it with God, then we'll fill it with something else. And the worry is that some of that stuff can be really, really unhelpful. We are programmed to have that God-shaped space if we don't have it filled with God, Paul would say, and we would say, then it's going to be filled with something else. A vacuum will not exist. It will take stuff in. And that is the risk. So what does Paul want us to do? Paul wants to clear up any ambiguity. He is stating in this particular passage a really clear exposition of the gospel, the authenticness of Jesus, 
and why it's important and what Jesus did for us. Because he wants the people to whom he's writing to have an authentic Christian faith, an authentic faith in Jesus as a follower. I remember an advert, I think, correctly, from many decades ago for bread. And it was in a northern accent because it's going to be sound and proper. And it was nout, nout added and nout taken out, I think. I can't remember what the bread was, but I can remember the advert. And basically, Paul is advocating the same thing. He's advocating a gospel with nothing added or taken away, if you like. Nothing added and nothing taken away. So we might, if Paul was standing here, say, well, okay, how do we know what is true? How do we know the gospel? How do we know it's authentic? How do we know that our God-shaped space is full of good stuff and not stuff we've adopted from elsewhere? Um, I, in my, part of my work time, um, the last couple of weeks, I was on the, um, a recording of the Chichester, Di Chichester Diocese Evangelical Fellowship, CDEF, it's a mouthful. Um, because I want, I'm, I'll give you a plug for Alison McGrath, I've already done that. If you want a good theologian on the book of Revelation, Ian Paul is your man, and I'll just give you that. As a, Ian Paul was taking this particular session with the Evangelical Fellowship, and he was doing it at um, Bishop Hannington in Hove. And if you know Bishop Hannington, Bishop Hannington is a Bible-based church. It really, really likes its Bible, okay? And um, Ian Paul um, said to them, um, okay, what's the most important part of this book? And you can imagine people going, it's John 3.16, it's Romans 12, it's Romans 5.8, it's whatever our favorite thing is. He said, wrong, it's that and that. He said, the most important part of our Bible is the covers because it defines what's in the scriptures and anything outside the covers. I think it's a fantastic, I think that's a really good example, okay? So he said, look at the Bible. If it's in there, it's the Bible. If it's outside that, and one answer things like the, the um, Gospel of Thomas and other things that the, the media will come and say, oh, we've discovered another Gospel. If it's not in here, it's not in the Bible. Really, really interesting. Who's done Alpha? I'm guessing that's, ah, okay, okay. Right, there's a segment with Alison McGrath. You've got, this is a second amount of Alison McGrath tonight. Do you remember the segment he says about how authentic the Bible is? I think that's incredibly profound. He said, do you believe in Julius Caesar? Yeah, absolutely. Do you believe in the Napoleon Wars? Absolutely. The authentic historic um, evidence for that is minuscule compared to the Bible. The Bible is attested by um, the number of copies it's got, the history, the how far back they go. I think I'm right in saying that, in fact, the most, the oldest fragment we've got is a bit of John, John's Gospel, which is dated, carbon dated, to within 30 years of when it was when John actually wrote it. Secular historians will say these things stack up. They might not believe in Jesus, but actually they'd say the authenticity of this is really important. And I think that's helpful. So Paul would draw us to the scriptures and say, believe that. And some people will come to us and say, oh yes, Andrew, or anybody else for that matter, uh, the Bible's full of, oh God, I can't believe it. And it's junk, it's myth, it's legend, it's all the rest of it. Because they're used to looking at this 
as a single book. If you, um, as I say, listen to Ian Paul, it's well worth it. If you consider our bookshelf at home, Jenny and my bookshelf at home, we might have on that bookshelf um, Delia Smith recipes, okay? We might have the AA Atlas of Great Britain, okay? Are both of them true? And the answer is absolutely they are true. I would contend that you would not try and cook a cake using an AA Atlas, nor would you want to navigate to Birmingham using Delia Smith or whoever else's recipes. They are different books, but they are both true. The Bible is a bookshelf of 66 books of history, of poetry, of apocalyptic writing that can be quite tricky to read. Um, some are poets, poetic hymns. Um, if you do weddings, as um, Gaz and I do from time to time, um, couples will come to us if they have no church background and it will have been quite legitimately on the Church of England website to choose their reading. And so often they'll come up with 1 Corinthians 13. Occasionally they'll end up in Song of Songs, which is interesting because Song of Songs is, uh, we're talking about racy stuff this morning with Ruth 3. Um, Song of Songs is quite racy. I, I, I use the word erotic here, it's a bit of unfair, but it's quite racy. And um, if I was preaching in a wedding like that, um, I would say to the congregation, and we've got a racy um, bit of the Bible, and heads would go, whoo! You know, <laughs> racy bit of the Bible? Wow, that's interesting. Um, and then I turned the Song of Songs, and you could almost hear them turning the Bible over to, to get to the pages to see what it was like. Uh, really, really interesting. What is between the covers of our Bibles, we believe, is God's Word. It's going to be our instruction manual. It's going to help us to fill that God-shaped space, that God-shaped vacuum with the good stuff, with actual Jesus stuff. And the, the Bible gives us that information. It helps us to find God in a whole range of variety, a whole range of different genres. The um, go-to text for believing scripture, as most of us will probably know, is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You'll have heard this so often. Um, Paul's writing instructions to his apprentice, Timothy. He writes this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Bear in mind that Paul is writing before the New Testament has actually been collated. He is speaking about the Hebrew scriptures because that's the only scriptures that he has access to at the time. In the same way, Jesus only had the Hebrew scriptures, clearly. If we take Ian Paul's example of the two covers contain the things we need to believe, Paul might say, everything between the covers of our Bible is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what we're to believe. That's what we are to communicate to our friends out there in Broadwater that will say to you, why do you believe all this stuff? Why do you think it's authentic? Why does it matter? And hopefully we're going to be able to answer those. And Paul comes back, his, if you like, his epicenter of what he wants to say is uh, in verses 22 and 23 of our reading. Um, Paul writes this, But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and, f uh, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, that's the belief bit, 
established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, that's the filling the God-shaped space vacuum bit, this is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed and of which Paul has become a servant. This is the gospel, this is the good news that Paul wants his readers to understand. He wants to clear up the misunderstanding in Colossae, nothing added, nothing taken away, the God vacuum filled with God and nothing else. And that's what God wants us to know this, uh, this morning, he wants us to know tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're looking for. Amen.